0: Our friendships can play a crucial part in our well-being. They can be fun or stimulating or comforting and supportive. But how do they begin and how do we sustain them? And what place should they have in our lives, especially compared to our other relationships? Gian Yankovich has written a whole book about this called Just Friends, partially inspired by some of the letters she received from readers in her role as the lifestyle editor at the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. They were wanting to know how to manage friendships. Gian, welcome. Hello. I feel like friendships are something that we learn about in, you know, in our very early years. Why were people writing to you saying, How do I manage them?
1: I mean, I think that, you know, when we're at school, obviously meeting friends, making friends, having a best friend is such a big part of our lives. And then we get to a certain point, normally somewhere in our 20s and 30s, where people start pairing off and starting families and getting married and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, um, a lot of friends kind of, you know, fall by the wayside. And I think that people, particularly at the moment where a lot of people, including young people, are feeling lonelier than ever, it's becoming more and more of a conversation, I think.
0: Well, and you had a stark moment a few years ago, didn't you, where you suddenly realised the massive importance of friends in your life. Take us back to that time and what was happening for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of people were having this, at, at having the same feeling at this time, but it was during the COVID pandemic. I was living in New York City at the time and I was having all of these realizations about friendship. You know, I was still working in touch with my coworkers, albeit. Um, remotely. And I was still seeing my partner every day, you know, arguably too much in our one bedroom apartment at the time. (laughs) And I was really feeling as a lot of people were the weight of missing my friends and not just my, um, you know, my oldest, closest friends, because a lot of those people were still living back in Australia. I was really missing a lot of the casual friendships that I had in the US at the time, you know, the people that I would run into at a party or catch up for dinner every few weeks or, you know, yeah, my my work friends as well that I wasn't working with day to day, but were in the office and, you know, would always gravitate towards it, happy hour or something like that. And I started thinking like, Really realizing, which I think is something that I had thought about in the past. Um, Obviously, my friends have always meant a great deal to me, but really feeling what my life was like without all of those connections and really not liking it.
0: And I understand you had little glimpses of friends sometimes.
1: Yeah, I did. And it was really, you know, I opened the book with this scene where I was um, walking along the West Side Highway in New York City and I was voice mmoing a friend back in Sydney and I could just see how desperate everyone was to see their friends and you know in New York um, I'm sure a lot of people can remember at the time the pandemic was was really awful and people were taking it very very seriously and you know for a few months most people that I was in touch with weren't seeing absolutely anyone besides people that they lived with and then kind of got to summer and you could see the desperation of people to catch up with their friends you know it was a masked coffee walking six feet apart it was these really you know picnics of one or two or three people, which I know happened in Australia as soon as the regulations allowed that as well. And it was really interesting to see that you know, it was something that obviously everyone was missing, and it felt like one of the biggest sacrifices that we were making during that time was not being able to see those people who we're so close to.
0: Well, yeah, and I mean, I, I remember going through lockdowns in Melbourne, very, very long periods of time, just really having a feeling in my heart that I missed my friends, the, the friends of your heart, you know, the really deep, close friends. But you did some looking into the the surprising power of weak ties, which I think was the, the title of a study related to this, those, those kind of lighter chit-chatty uh, relationships that we have. How important are they?
1: yeah, I mean, they're very important. As you mentioned, um, there's been a lot of research into those kinds of relationships into the you know the health and happiness benefits of them. And I think that when we do talk about feelings of loneliness, oftentimes our mind, you know gravitates straight to our oldest friends or our best friends, or we think, oh, you know, it's because I don't have a group of really solid, close friends that I'm feeling lonely, or it's because my best friend um, forever moved away. And while well, those things can, of course contribute to loneliness, I do think that there's definitely something to be said for the way that our more casual ties can brighten all of our days, you know, whether it's, you know, saying hi to someone in the lift at work or it's chatting to a neighbour over the fence or it's, you know, running into someone while you're at the shops or, you know, getting a casual dinner or drink with someone that you're not super close to but it's nice to catch up and hear how they've been. I think that all of those people in our lives have a real power to band together and make us feel like we're really socially connected, which is so important for our physical health and also our mental well-being.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, do, do we tend to think of friendships... As a hierarchy in our culture, and and is that a useful way to think about them, or should we think about them more as uh, comprising a range of different roles in our life?
1: Yeah, I think that when it comes to relationships, we obviously have a lot of hierarchies in our life, and for most people, um, traditionally, you know, we... Think about all the people in our lives and oftentimes family, particular, particularly the nuclear family. So that might be a partner or kids if you have them, are always, you know, at the top of that hierarchy with friends coming second. And then as you said, you know, within friendship, there is also that hierarchy of, you know, it's oldest best friend, and then it's um, you know, your second you kind of second best friends or your, your people that you're close to, but but they're not someone that you tell everyone to. And then it's your kind of more middling, um, casual, low-stakes friends. And It is interesting that that, you know, exists and obviously there are different tiers to friendship, but I think that there are definitely more tiers and more complexity to all those different relationships than we maybe give merit to.
0: Yeah, when I think about the range of relationships I've had in my life, I feel like sometimes the language is inadequate to to encompass, you know, someone who's between an acquaintance and a friend or a mate or, you know, the the long clunky someone I know from the school community or something like that. Do we need a a better way of talking about our friendships even?
1: Yeah, I definitely think so. And I think that, you know, even the act of calling someone a friend for a first time does sometimes feel like a big leap of faith, even if it is someone that you would stop and chat to at school, pick up, or if you run into them to the super, at the supermarket, um, or if, you know, they're your friend on social media, but does that mean that they're your friend in real life? There are a lot of hesitancies that people have around calling someone a friend versus referring to them as, you know, a friend of a friend or an acquaintance or something like that. But I think definitely, you know, we have terms like best friend, close friend, all of those things, but they often don't really go as far as, Explaining what a certain person can mean to us. And I think that it it really holds us back. You know, if you say that someone is your husband or, you know, your partner or your sister, for example, people apply a lot of, you know, beliefs to those things and a lot of assumptions about those relationships, even though there are plenty of people that aren't close to their siblings, or plenty of romantic relationships that are quite fractured, plenty of people that aren't in touch with their parents or, you know, their cousins or things like that. But I think, yeah, for sure, the language is definitely definitely holding us back. But I think that the reason that it is so difficult to place language on these relationships is because they are so far-reaching and so complex, which is part of their magic as well. So I think that it's a bit of a tricky one of, you know, would it even be possible to put words to all of these different kind of relationships that we can have?
0: Yeah, we're speaking with uh, Gyan Jankovic, who's the author of Just Friends, a book that explores some of the ways we think about friendship and perhaps some alternative ways we might think about friendship as well. Greg uh, from New South Wales has texted in, ''Friends? That's why I'm an introvert. I have no idea how to manage friendships and I don't really care.'' Greg, I know from your previous text that you are or have been married, so I feel like that's an interesting thing, that you've had at least one friend, I hope, in your life, and perhaps we can use that as a template for other relationships.'' Yeah, I guess starting a friendship can make us feel very vulnerable, and it's it's quite scary. What are your uh, tips for making that first move?
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the most interesting pieces of research that I came across in the book was this um, phenomenon called the liking gap. And basically researchers have found that when we're meeting someone and having a conversation with them for the first time, we all severely underestimate how much the other person is enjoying the conversation and also how much the other person likes us. So once I kind of got that into my head, and it was one of the most you know, I guess pivotal changes I noticed in myself after I was working in the book. Once I noticed that, I found when I was talking to people, if I was going into a conversation with someone new with the assumption that they like me more than i think they're going to enjoy this conversation more than i think it was really interesting how much i loosened up how much of myself i was willing to offer them you know how much more comfortable i was how much chattier how much more willing to tell to tell jokes you know the way that you are if you're in a conversation with someone when you realize that they're enjoying it realizing that i had that kind of cognitive bias which we all have and also thinking this person thinks that I don't like them, how can I show them that I do? Because I think that is what makes good connection. You know, you meet someone and you think they like me, I like them. That's when you really hit it off. But if we're both going into conversations with the back foot, as re- researchers tell us that we're most likely to, it, that's when things get a bit tricky and a bit sticky and people feel a
0: little bit vulnerable or shy. Well, yes, Margaret's texted in saying, if you have a front yard or a balcony, spend time there or walk around your neighbourhood and say hello. That's her advice for making friends. But I, I was interested too, Gowen, that you found that reluctance and an assumption that people aren't going to want to interact with us extends to even people that we already know. You looked at the, how people feel a bit pushy to reach out to their friends sometimes.
1: Yeah, that's another a really interesting piece of research that I came across while working on the book is that we really underestimate how much people like hearing from us. You know, I know that myself, I feel like I've always got this mental list of old friends who I want to get back in touch with or people that I haven't spoken to in a few weeks that I want to see how they are. And I kind of think, oh, but you know, they're going to want to hear from me, you know, if I didn't write back to their last text or our last set of plans fell through or, oh, it's been, you know, a year since you've been in touch, like they probably don't want to chit chat. But well, research really shows that people people really appreciate hearing from their friends or people they used to be in touch with, which when you say it out loud, it sounds so obvious. But I think that most of us can relate to that kind of feeling of like, oh, are they going to want to hear from me? But the truth is most people actually do.
0: Yeah. It's a bit different from like when your ex-partners start hitting you up. (laughs) Yes, it's very different from that.
1: But yeah, it's it's funny. Um, We do draw those those kind of links. And you, I think a lot of us know that feeling of getting that text or call from someone that you actually don't want to hear from. But, you know, a lot of the times, I think if we interrogate those feelings, you look back and you're like, oh, it wasn't an old friend texting. It was, you know, an ex or someone in my family that robs me the wrong way sometimes.
0: Yeah. Greg's texted back in and saying, it's true, I am married, but it's more about my wife managing me as well as my friends. And that is interesting, isn't it? Did you notice any research on differences between the ways men and women conduct their friendships?
1: You know, I didn't find a lot of research on it, but it is very funny that that has come up because when I was working on the book, I had so many women come up to me, you know, either at parties or dinners or also at events, people that I'd never met before that had heard me talk about the book and um, women in often long-term relationships with um, straight men. And they would say, you know, I love my partner. He's charismatic. He's, you know, self-aware. He's smart. He's funny. He's so great, but he doesn't have these really close friends. And I feel like if I didn't push him to hang out with people, he probably wouldn't, or I, I feel like he's managing his friends. So it's... It's definitely a common, a common experience for sure.
0: Did just generally too, Giaan, did you look at how often we seek out friends outside our usual circles, perhaps across lines of, you know, race or ethnicity or class or gender and what that can bring to a friendship?
1: I think that there's a huge benefit to that, particularly intergenerational friendships. Um, There was a really interesting study that I came across, actually, that was from um, Settlement Services Australia, I believe, and it was speaking to um, refugees who had recently arrived in Australia and uh, moved into suburbs, I think in Victoria, if I'm remembering correctly. But it was a really interesting study because... Um, the people that were interviewed were talking about how at home they felt in their suburbs. And, you know, researchers asked, you know, why is that? Why do you feel so connected to their neighbours? And it was really interesting because there was a language barrier oftentimes between the refugees who were being interviewed and the neighbourhoods that they'd moved into. But what they reported were these really high feelings of trust in the people around them because of things like a smile, a wave, a hello, you know, all of these really little, often completely nonverbal things and interactions that we have with people that actually make a community feel really positive and really safe for people.
0: Yep, yep. Our street has a WhatsApp group, and it's wonderful to see the woman who organises that just door-knocking new new residents and saying, hi, welcome, you know, you're part of this group now, and it's an amazingly simple way to feel included somewhere. It was incredible when I moved in. Gian, you've written about a, a couple of friends that you heard of who'd actually made the move of celebrating their friendship in a way that most of us only do for romantic relationships. Tell me about the two young women you know who had an uncivil ceremony.
1: Yes. Yeah, so I came across these two amazing women, Nerida and Maddie, and they had been friends for years and they were actually DJs and they used to DJ a lot of weddings together. And they were both working in um, event organizing and they'd always, you know, travel out, you know, hours away from Sydney to um, to DJ these weddings. And then on the way back, as I think everyone does after a wedding, you start analyzing, you know, what did you think of the food? What did you think of the music? What would you have done differently? What What did you love from that wedding? And they always had this feeling of like, you know what, if we were to throw a wedding, like we've been to so many, we have so many opinions, we work in the industry, like we would be able to throw the best party. And then Nerida was actually about to move to Canada and they had, they had a conversation after a wedding um, that was actually focused around Nerida um, losing her father. And she was kind of saying, you know, if I ever have a wedding. Like it's really hard because I know I'm going to miss my dad so much that I don't think it will ever be a perfect day. And Maddie kind of said, you know, well, how about before you move to celebrate our 30th birthdays, we throw a wedding and they called it an uncivil ceremony. I think it's a little bit of a tongue in cheek thing to denote to people that, you know, this is a joke and it's, it's not a, it's not a real wedding, but also this actually is a real testament to what we mean to each other. We want everyone to come. The wedding was, the theme of the wedding was wedding. So a lot of people came as, you know, bridesmaids, brides, grooms, etc. It was really fun. I've seen the photos. They're absolutely gorgeous. Um, But they did, they, you know, they had music, they did speeches, they had a cake. And they were saying that it was this really beautiful time in their lives to stand up and say, you know, even though you're moving, you're still going to mean as much to me. And you need to believe that because we're saying it in front of everyone who means something to us. They're all here. And it was really beautiful. You know, obviously that kind of event isn't going to suit every friendship. It was very them, which is why I think that it was so perfect and and, you know, why they had such a great time. But yeah.
0: it was really I, We're just going to have to wind up because the news is coming, but I love oh, yes. that story to finish with because it's such a lovely way to reframe and rethink how we how we approach our friendships. Gyan Jankovic is the author of Just Friends, which is out now. Gyan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.